Andy Bird needs, this needs no introduction, but I still want to take a moment and just introduce to him. Come on up, Andy, you should come up. So Andy Bird has spoken. Wow. Yeah, man, come on. Again, this guy. Did you say come up Come on, Andy is just amazing. He's a deep friend of this house, and we love him. You know, he's coming back. That's right. <laughs> so he literally has spoken internationally to the nations. He's launched to the nations. You'll see as, uh, as you, you know, as you hear all the stuff that's going on, what an amazing gift the body of Christ. He's, la he's launched my heart many times and has already done it this morning. So we just really love him. You know, it's just so funny. He comes in here, we, he's no maintenance. I'm like, hey, Andy, how are you? Nice to see you. People are going, Andy Bird. It's like so amazing. Like, we're like, hey, we love you, man. Nice to have you. Want a cup of coffee? You're good. So, but this guy is a, is a gift to the body of Christ. How many agree? Just so wonderful. So one more time, shout and bless this guy. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Good morning, Life Center. You guys can grab your seats. So good to be with you. Um, this is such a, a second family to me. Um, I married into this region 20 years ago. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary, my wife and I. And uh, she's from Lancaster County down the road. And uh, one of the best decisions of my, wife, my life for sure was marrying Holly. And I had no idea that that also would link me to one of the greatest places in all of America. And uh, so I have a 20-year history here in the area. And uh, I was sharing in the first service that Life Center, Charles and Ann, I remember meeting them at the Mexican restaurant right down the road here probably 12 years ago, I'm thinking. And uh, we met for the very first time, and I was so stunned by the way that they were championing myself and the uh, other leaders that I was with at our young age, and I didn't feel like we were doing anything, and we were just doing our best, stumbling our way through life. And they looked at us, they believed in us, they championed us at a young age, and Life Center was the very first um, larger church to ever ask me to speak. And I remember when they asked me to speak, this would have been probably 10 years ago. And I was like, are you sure? Like, this is a big risk for you. Like, you want to vet me a little bit more? Like, check on my theology? I don't know, like, anything? And they were like, we so believe in you. We are so with you. And uh, it was Life Center that really injected courage in my heart in that season for some of the things that God would call us into in the years after. And I still remember, um, uh, we finished the service after sharing. We went and got lunch together. And Charles, uh, you know, I'm from YWAM. I've worked with YWAM for 22 years and spent most of my life in terms of, like, speaking and teaching and ministry in the Himalayas, in Africa, in South America, and South Asia. And uh, when we finished lunch, uh, Charles was like, oh, here's your honorarium. I'm like, on a what? Like, <laughs> this, is, this is your gift for speaking. I'm like, there's a gift for speaking? I didn't even know that was a thing. And then it was like hours later, I totally forgot about it. I opened the envelope and I, was, I called Charles. I was like, hey, the accounting uh, department made a mistake. This is way too big. What happened? I had never seen anything like it. And again, it was one of those amazing moments that Life Center, many moments, injected courage into my heart as a young leader. And I know that's true of many leaders in this community, many that have been sent out by Life Center. You are a people that give courage. You give courage everywhere you go. You are a city on a hill. And uh, I just think it's so remarkable. I got to hear some of the testimonies of what's been happening here over the last year, the expectation and the hunger that you're carrying as a community for God's presence to break in. I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for giving me courage. I want to thank you for all those that you've given courage to. I want to thank you for being a city on a hill in this region of America. 
I want to thank you for holding on to hope in a difficult and crisis moment in our nation. I'm so grateful for your leaders. I'm so grateful for the stocks and the leeches and all the leaders in this community and the way that you have stewarded the presence of God. I, I didn't want to speak this morning. I was like, can we please just keep worshiping? Let the worship team keep going. You have stewarded something so precious here. So I love you. Thank you for being a, a part of our family. Um, it's been a privilege to come through. You know, usually once a year, COVID has made it a couple years since I was here last. And those that don't know me, um, as I said, I'm married to a woman from Lancaster County. She's the greatest woman on earth. I am completely biased. And I hope you feel that way about your spouses as well. And um, uh, we have six children, which is way more than I had ever planned on. And I know that's a small family here. I get it. Don't judge me. We might not be done, okay? We might have more children. Some of you are like, six kids. He's in compromise. <laughs> it's way more, guys. I thought two was enough. I'm from Alaska, real small town. It's like, you know, we're doubling the population of the town I grew up in right now as a family. And I never imagined we'd have this many children, but then I made the, 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 great, uh, the great decision to marry someone from Lancaster County. And I remember still after having two kids, looking at her and going, babe, is this amazing that we know our family, like we're done. And you know, man-to-man defense, you get one, I get one. And I was just so rejoicing, like we got a boy and a girl. It's like, this is the, we made it, babe. We fit in a cool car like this. We've got it, we've got it figured out, you know, we can travel the nations. And man, she looked at me and I, I, I saw that look and I thought, oh my gosh, you're not done, are you? We, we are not on the same page, are we? <laughs> and, and so we had our third, and at three, if any of you know, when you have your third child, you, you have to move to zone defense, you're outnumbered, you're done, like you're drowned. And then when I realized when I was really drowned, I thought, you know, it really doesn't matter how far underwater you are when you're drowned. So like, just pile them on, throw another one in there. 10 feet under, 20 feet under, does it really matter at this point? When you're dead, you're dead, right? And uh, so we've adopted two out of foster care, we have four biological, and um, it's a huge part of our story, and our family has been embracing the brokenness and the, um, of the family in America and, uh, and diving into the, the brokenness of the foster care system and trying to be a part of the solution. We have a seventh child right now, a two-year-old from foster care. I, it's been a while since I had a crib at the end of my bed. And uh, so grateful for my wife's love capacity, and, uh, and I am still trying to keep up absolutely every day chasing her to keep up with her ability and capacity to love. But we're so grateful for what we get to do, as I said, 22 years in YWAM, very connected to this area, and uh, in the last number of years have been, had the privilege to giving leadership to something called the Send. And I actually want to start this morning with a little bit of that story, and then we're going to move into the scripture with something I believe is for now, for your community, for this hour that we're in in America. And uh, last time I was here, which you may or may not have been here, I actually was shortly after the Send Orlando. And at the Send Orlando 2019 February, uh, we were on this journey to see the uh, passivity and inactivity shattered in the heart of a generation. Our sense in the Holy Spirit was that God uh, was leading and is leading America into another great awakening. And I don't think anything that's happened this last year has actually slowed that down. I think it may have accelerated it. And I think all of us that have been praying for revival just didn't realize this might have been part of our prayer, is that God needed to shake everything that could be shaken. Of course, in the midst of that, the enemy's gotten all up in there as well and tried to wreak havoc and bring division. But let's not miss that in the midst of the shaking and the crisis that definitely the enemy is playing a part in, that God is also 
shaking his church. And he is awakening us and stirring our hearts, right? And he's raising up a people that have eyes to see that he is bigger than our crisis. It's like Isaiah chapter 6, which was a year of crisis in Israel's history. It was the year that King Uzziah died. It was a major changing of powers, and it was the the end of a king whose heart was turned towards God and the beginning of a very difficult period in Israel's history. And in the midst of that shaking and that crisis, that death that occurred, and all that goes on with a death like that of a king, uh, that's shaking and there's crisis, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. And God is looking for a people in America right now who can see that he is bigger than our crisis, who can look at the difficulty we've gone through and see the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord fill the temple, and yet that glory shook the temple as it filled it. We should expect to be shaken in this season as God raises up his bride with beauty and with glory. The glory doesn't come without shaking. The glory doesn't come without shaking everything that can be shaken, and much of that is happening right now, and we're embracing it, going, God, if we've built it, shake it until it falls. If you've built it, let it remain, God. But fill this temple with your glory. And it's in that context that Isaiah cries out, in the crisis, in the shaking, but in the glory, here am I, send me. And the sending movement of Isaiah's day came out of shaking and glory. I believe in our shaking, God is about to pour out glory. And in that glory, we will hear, here am I, send me out of America, larger than in any season of our history. There's a missions movement coming out of this nation to touch the 3.2 billion that are still waiting for the gospel all over the world. There is a local awakening of activation to see this nation have another great awakening. It's time for a Jesus movement in America again. And it's gonna come in this season of shaking and this rising up in the church. Now, on a global level, in the midst of the crisis and the shaking, you've got to know that we are living in some of the most exciting hours of all of human history. Today, right now, I should say in the last 20 years, there have been more people from Muslim backgrounds that have come to Jesus in 1,400 years since Muhammad began Islam. 20 years we've seen more salvations than in 1,400 years of history. In fact, it's estimated that right now that every seven to eight seconds an Indonesian is turning to Jesus in the largest Islamic nation in the world. This is the hour that we live in. Some of you would know this, but by the year 2033 or 35, we will begin the final translation of the final language on earth, and for the first time in 2,000 years of church history, every language on earth will have the gospel in their mother tongue, in their heart language. Friends, this is 2,000 years of history in the making, and it's on the doorstep right now. Right now, this is the hour we live in. The fastest growing church in the world right now, any nation, is in Iran. If you'd have said 20 years ago that Iran would have the fastest growing church in the world, I think we'd have all said that's totally impossible. But friends, we are living in impossible times made possible right now. And America will not be counted out. America's not too hard for God to soften us and awaken us. The next generation is not too hard for God not to move beyond our wildest imagination. And could it be that the harvest in Gen Z and young millennials is gonna be the greatest harvest in the history of this nation. This is what I believe to be the hour that we live in. 
Now, our send storyline was aimed at many of these words. 80 million salvations in America, a Jesus movement. 200,000 new missionaries launched to the nations of the earth. We didn't know if anyone had come in Orlando. Long story short, a bunch came. 60,000 young people believing that now was the time for the Great Commission. We had over 5,000 commitments from young people to go anywhere in the world for the sake of the gospel. Thousands of commitments from high schoolers to see their high school as a mission field. University students to reach their universities. Thousands, and to this day, the most common testimony that I get from the Send Orlando is that since the Send, we have adopted children, we have jumped into the foster care system, we have seen kids reunified. One of the most common testimonies as America's eyes in many ways opened to the brokenness of the family going, we're not gonna blame anyone else, we're not gonna blame the government, this is our responsibility and we're taking responsibility for it. Remarkable activation. It was mind-blowing. Miracles broke out. I'll never forget, at the end of the night, the field and the stadium had emptied. We were about to leave, and I looked out on the field, and there was nothing left but two empty wheelchairs because their owners no longer needed them. And there was testimony after testimony of miraculous healing. Well, the day after Orlando, we knew that God was already beginning to grip our heart for what would be next in America, which we believed was Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, which I'll share about in a moment. But we were so stunned in Orlando by the number of Brazilians that showed up for America's breakthrough. Now, many of those Brazilians are now Brazilian Americans, and thousands more came from Brazil believing that our breakthrough is their breakthrough, and their breakthrough is our breakthrough. Nations standing together, ethnicities standing together in solidarity. Friends, we cannot allow the enemy to divide us. We must allow the Lord to unify us in the beauty of our diversity, but standing in solidarity around the kingdom. And I watched as Brazil warred and contended for the breakthrough in America. And right after Orlando, the next day, we talked our, as a collaboration. One of our leaders, Teo Hayashi, who's one of my best friends and one of our SEND leaders, who actually was, one, uh, was an intern at the Life Center when he was 18 or 19 years old. His roots come back to this church. And now I would say he has one of the most dynamic impactful youth movements in the entire nation of Brazil. And he started here at Life Center as an intern at 18 or 19 years old. And we looked at Teo and said, we gotta go to Brazil. And he said, we gotta go to Brazil. And uh, as we set our sights towards Brazil, we, uh, he called me one day, he goes, Andy, there's two stadiums we could rent. One's big, iconic, expensive, and I don't know if we can fill it. Holds 70,000 people. He goes, there's another one, it's smaller, it's newer, it's less expensive, and I think we should rent that one. And I was like, I think I heard God already. I think we should definitely get the littler one. And then we made the mistake of praying. And uh, as we waited on the Lord, the Lord joy kindly rebuked us and said, your faith is smaller than the hunger of the Brazilians. You are underestimating what's in the nation. Rent the bigger stadium. So in nervousness, we rented the bigger stadium. We finally launched one little Instagram post, and all it said was the Send Brazil Registration is open, is live. That was it, one post. Nobody really knew what it was. Nobody knew a single person that was coming. Nobody really knew what we were going for. It was just an Instagram post. And as it went live, we were like, you know, praying, God, send somebody. Let someone register today, just as a burst of confidence. And uh, this was eight months out before the event. Six hours later, the stadium calls us and they say, hey, 
We don't know what happened, but every single seat in the stadium is sold out. And we said, no, no, it's not possible. Check the system. They go, we did. We go, check it again. They go, we checked it three times. We thought it was broken. We thought it had to be broken. And they go, you broke the record. We're like, what record? They go, the fastest the stadium's ever been filled in its history was six and a half hours. They go, this was filled in six hours. We go, well, who held the record? And they said, Coldplay and you 2 held the record. And I realized in this moment, friends, we are crossing a line. And don't let anything of the last year convince you otherwise. That the Great Commission is filling stadiums faster than the biggest bands of our day. And that this was the way it was meant to be. And this is the hour we're heading into. And God is faithful to his promises and to his prophecies. We've known this. We've all prayed it. But I don't know if I really believed I would see it in my day. But now is the time. And God is putting the Great Commission back into the center of the conversation of Christianity. And he is putting it into the center of the heart of an entire generation. So we didn't know what to do after that. So we prayed. And the Lord said, now you can rent the smaller stadium. Rented the smaller stadium and it filled to capacity over the weekend. So we rented a third stadium. And a year ago, February, it was just a little over a year ago, we gathered in Brazil in three stadiums with 150,000 Brazilians, with 2.1 million watching online from 117 nations with their eyes and their hearts glued on what Jesus was doing. And you've got to know this was not about a brand, this was not about an organization. God will not share his glory. This was about the zeal of the Lord to accomplish his purposes on the earth. This is because he cares about the 3.1 billion waiting for the gospel. That's because he cares about every individual across Brazil, and he cares about America having its awakening. He adamantly, passionately cares about seeking and saving the lost. And that day, I never in my life thought that I would get to experience what we experienced there in Brazil. As we went through three simultaneous gatherings on the same day in three different places, there were 100,000 commitments to real mission fields. Every one of those people giving their information, going, I'm committing to my high school, my university. We had 38,000 commitments to foreign missions. 38,000 Brazilians going, I will go anywhere in the world for the sake of the Great Commission. I remember talking to Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM afterwards, and uh, you know, just so amazed by what God did. And I would never say this, but he said this. He said, Andy, do you realize this was probably the largest day of missions mobilization in human history? There were probably more people that said yes to missions today than on any one day before. And I would never have said that, but Lauren said it, and he can. He's 85 years old, and he started a global missions movement. And I realized God was doing something so supernatural. That night, true to the word of the Lord and the promises over these gatherings, miracles began to break out. We began to pray for the sick, and they started crowd surfing empty wheelchairs to the fronts of the stages. Crutches were being passed in people's hands all the way to the front, and numerous testimonies of blind eyes and deaf ears opening on the spot. God did everything that he promised to do. Everything. And after Brazil, we'd already started to talk about Kansas City, and, and, and of course, we found ourselves in this global pandemic, but undaunted, and I must say unwavering in our faith in the word of the Lord over America in this hour. And I feel like instead of the last year and every attempt of the enemy to slow down the work of God, I believe because of the response of the church that it's actually accelerating God's purposes. 
We went into Kansas City and I asked the Lord going, God, we need confirmations. I now know the cost that it takes to pull this off and, and, and uh, the cost of family, the cost to our team, um, the cost to our time and our energy, the emotional cost, all of it. Lord, we need a confirmation. We're not out to start a new organization or a new brand or a new gathering. We don't have the energy for that. This has to be the word of the Lord. This has to be him leading the way. And so I went into some meetings with Mike Bickle and a bunch of the IHOP community asking, is Kansas City really in your heart, God? And I go, I need a sign, God. And I went into that meeting and hours of meetings actually and came out a few days later going, God, not only did you give a sign, I go, I, this was not about a confirmation. I came out with the fear of the Lord. And I can honestly say I've never been more convinced of anything, at least in my own journey with God, than the significance of Arrowhead Stadium and Kansas City. I began to hear 30 and 40 year prophecies that related that stadium to a Jesus movement in America, to a healing movement hitting America again, and to a billion soul harvest that we've all been praying for across the earth. And I was stunned as we began to hear these stories and, and, and began to grab a hold of with faith that this was your word and this was your timing. And I'll never forget going into the stadium for the first time, just praying, going, God, show us your heart. And in the, in the tunnel of the stadium, there's this, there's this writing on the wall, and it says that the loudest recorded human decibel was recorded in Arrowhead Stadium. So the loudest sound ever made by just humans was recorded in Arrowhead Stadium. And as soon as I saw that, I felt the Lord say, wouldn't it be like me, the Lord, to break the record? And that the loudest sound in human history would not be for a touchdown, but for Jesus and the gospel message going across the earth. And I believe we're gonna make a sound in that stadium so loud that the world cannot ignore it. And it will be the sound of Jesus seeking and saving the lost. It will be the sound of Jesus chasing every tribe, tongue, and nation until all are represented before the throne of God. So we have set our eyes on Kansas City. And I'm going to show a video in a moment here. It's just a couple minutes, and then I want to jump into the scriptures. But I want to show this video. It says more than I can say in a couple minutes and uh, points the way to Kansas City and for what we're believing for. So can we go ahead and roll that video? There are moments in your life history where everything changes. This moment, December 2011, shifted my life forever. I was here in Kansas City, and these YWAM guys came into this very room, right where I'm sitting right now, and they said there's coming a shift to the call. Lou's been filling stadiums for over a decade with prayer and fasting, but the word was about that transitioning to a, a message of the Great Commission, missions mobilization, evangelism, signs, wonders, and miracles. And that day kicked something off that culminated on February 23rd at the Send in Orlando, Florida. Today we receive a shift into a new Jesus movement. I believe in a bold and fearless generation is coming forth. You'll carry it back to your cities and to your nations. We're not gonna let it go for another generation. Do it in our time. Do it in our day. We stood there in awe as 58,000 people worshiping together and declaring that we are in a new era of missions and evangelism, declaring a war on inaction and that we would do whatever it costs 
to see the lost encounter Jesus and his love, whether it was our neighbors or the nations. And we walked away from Orlando with this conviction that this was not the culmination. In fact, this was just the beginning. As we set our eyes on Kansas City, we realized that it is the convergence of three major storylines. 200,000 missionaries launching to the nations of the earth, 80 million salvations in America, a Jesus movement, and a million intercessors who would pray for a global harvest. And all of it happening in the very city where the original word for the sand was birthed. Could we be? in something that's way beyond all that we could think or imagine. I'm looking at this thing that is, we're coming into Kansas City, and I'm daring to believe a flashpoint where literally the prayer movement and the missions movement would be connected together right into this stadium. Everybody is called to do the work of missions, and everybody's called to do a little bit of prayer. And the Lord has put the missions movement and the prayer movement together. He wants our partnership in prayer to go hand in hand with the release of greater power of the Spirit in missions and outreach and ministry. And one of the goals to the send is to raise up 200,000 missionaries that would go to the ends of the earth, but it's also to raise up a million intercessors to pray for the missionaries that are going because the two must go together. So we are calling for 70,000 to gather from Kansas City, every corner of America, and from the nations of the earth to Arrowhead Stadium, the loudest stadium in the world, to make the sound of ghosts so loud that a whole generation could hear it and would respond, first with their voices and with their entire lives. Okay, give a person next to you a high five real quick. Tell them we're going for this. We are going for spiritual awakening in America. And some of you may have heard of an event uh, actually almost 50 years ago called Explo 72. And some would consider Explo 72 to been one of the crescendo gatherings of the Jesus movement. 60,000 people descended in, into Dallas for five days of gospel equipping, gospel training, learning to become proclaimers and sharers of the gospel. Every night they met in the stadium with Billy Graham and Bill Bright and many other leaders. And on that Saturday, it culminated with 200,000 gathering in an open field and declaring their vision was that in the next four years, America would be resaturated with the gospel. A four-year vision for the re-evangelization of America. Friends, I think it's time for another stake in the ground moment for America. Gen Z, young millennials need a moment they can look at in their lives and in their history to go, we are not giving up on a move of God in America. We are not giving up on a Jesus movement. So we are calling for tens of thousands to gather in Kansas City. We're doing five days of gospel equipping and gospel training just like they did in Dallas. It was 50 years ago next year that they gathered in Dallas and we're believing for a tipping point gathering on that Saturday in that stadium, a giant commissioning. Why? For the re-evangelization of America and the global great commission. Friends, it's time for every high school in America, every university in America, every neighborhood in America to be represented with the reality of Jesus. Now is that time. Now the date on that thing is the wrong date because it keeps getting pushed back. So instead of continually getting pushed back by COVID, we decided to push all the way to the summer of 2022. 
Most likely the first week of June is when we'll be gathering in Kansas City. You can pre-register now so that you hear when the date comes out and continue to stay in touch with us. You can do all that at our, at our website, thesend.org. But we need, we need a couple hundred caravans of buses and vans and, and horses, whatever you got. To, to rumble on down to Kansas City to believe for a breakthrough for this nation. A defining moment for a young generation to believe that the future of America would be a bright future full of the gospel and the revelation of Jesus. Now I wanna jump to the scriptures here and uh, I wanna share a word with you that I feel is a now word for us and for you as a community. My family and I just figured uh, finished an, a nine week trip across the US. We, uh, we, we bought a van here in Lancaster, a 12-passenger, and uh, it's the, like the biggest van in all of Hawaii where we live. I know it's totally like normal driving around here, but uh, we drove across the U.S. Uh, it, it clocked our hours, and we drove 150 hours, uh, 7,500 miles, nine weeks. We spoke at 35 or 40 different gatherings across the nation, and, and one of the questions we were asking is, God, in the midst of the shaking, what are you saying to the body of Christ? In the midst of all that's gone on in this last year, what is your word to us in this season? How are we to posture ourselves for the future? What are you wanting to change about our posture? What are you wanting to shake? What are you wanting to prune that we would never pull back again? And what are the new things you're wanting to release inside of us? The word I wanna share with you this morning is, is from that question and from our time going across America. I want you to open to the book of Mark. And I think one of the questions in the heart of many in America right now is what is the Jesus or the Messiah of the church really like? And I think you've probably all felt at some point in your life the pain of being misrepresented. It's probably one of the most frustrating things in life. I didn't mean that, uh, you took my words wrong, uh, you judged my actions, that's not my motive, you judged my motive wrong because of that, and being misrepresented is extremely frustrating. It's probably one of the more frustrating things that we experience is when someone misunderstands what we were trying to say or what we were trying to do or what our actions or our intent really were. And I just want you to think for a moment, if you have felt that way in your life, at times that you've been misrepresented, how much more has Jesus felt that over the nation of America? How much more has he felt that at times as he looks down on a nation that has wrestled over the last year with division, wrestled over the last year with pain being exposed? You know, it seemed like everything in 2020 wanted to divide us. Everything in 2020 wanted to drive us apart. And at times you were seeing responses on social media or you were hearing responses, you know, that people were doing on video or on the news. And you thought to yourself, this is not what Jesus is really like. And I have to think that one of the things that Jesus is most jealous for in this season and maybe one of the primary things redemptively that could come out of our shaking is that we would represent Jesus to the nation as he actually is. And I think there's a longing in his heart to say, let me show them what I'm really like. Because at times we can buy into this concept that it's sort of the lost against the saved. When in reality, it's all of humanity wrestling against the lies of the enemy. 
And we can divide ourselves again on, that, on those grounds and go, we just gotta dig in and protect ourselves and we gotta protect the church and we just gotta hold our ground and we kinda dig our heels in, we stick our anchor in deep and we go, we are holding the fortress. The only problem with that is we were not called to defend the fortress. We were called to storm hell. We were called not to defend the fortress back home. We were called to be on the battlefield representing Jesus as he really is. And I think there's a question similar to who Mark was writing to in his gospel, that there's a question in the heart of a generation. There's a question in the heart of America. What is Jesus actually like? Because he's been misrepresented as so many different things. And I think there's a longing in Jesus to say, would you just please let me pull the curtain back and show America what I'm really like? And there's a longing in the heart of Jesus to his church to say, in all the shaking, would you allow yourself to be an even more clear picture of what I'm actually like to a nation that is longing for a Messiah? I think sometimes we can think that the lost or America are resistant to Jesus. But I think the reality is that America is resistant to religion, but longing for a Messiah. I have never met someone who's lost that didn't want to be found at the end of the day. The question is, could they be found by a true picture of what Jesus is actually like? How clear is the picture? Now, if you ask the average person, I think, that's not in the church, they might know the church more for what we're against than what we're actually for. They might know us more for the truth we're defending than the truth that we're celebrating. We weren't called to just defend a truth that we're no longer living. We were called to celebrate a truth that brings abundant life to everyone who walks in it, right? This was a proactive gospel. The moment that we start defending doctrine, we've sort of already lost. We've gotta celebrate truth because it's truth that sets people free. We're not here to stand in a fortress and defend something that we're no longer living. We're called to celebrate the truth because it's the only way to life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we restore that confidence and celebration of truth, it will be because we are actually representing Jesus to a nation that is longing for a Messiah. And friends, if we don't give him to them, they will find another Messiah. And we will be a nation that is still looking for a political Messiah, still looking for a celebrity Messiah, still looking for an economic Messiah, still looking for a pastoral Messiah. The nation is longing for a savior. And now is the hour, perhaps like never before, to pull back the curtain, go, I'm sorry, he has been misrepresented to you, but let us show you what he's actually like. Mark chapter one. I think the same situation is going on when Mark is writing his account of Jesus. It's years after the life of Jesus. He's writing to the church in Rome, which is mostly made up of Gentile believers. He's writing to give them a picture of what Jesus was actually like. Why? Because Jesus, the Father, I should say, had been so misrepresented to the Gentiles for hundreds and hundreds of years. Look at the Old Testament history of Israel and you realize there are moments where the Father is accurately represented, but there might be more moments where Israel is misrepresenting the Father through their own idolatry, through their own prejudices, through their own wanderings. Many times the Father is jealous. He's burning with jealousy going, Israel, you are not showing the nations what I'm actually like. 
You read into the New Testament, you realize this division between Jew and Gentile is largely because of the misrepresentation of the Father among the Jews to the Gentiles. They've drawn all these lines. In fact, remember the story that we love so much where Jesus is flipping over tables in the outer courts of the temple. And one of the reasons he's so angry is that area of the temple had been set aside so that the Gentiles could encounter God. That was a region for them to hear an area, for them to hear the Torah, to hear the teaching of the law, to experience Yahweh as he really is. And instead, they had filled it with tables, and they're selling things, and they're trying to make money, and Jesus is flipping tables going, you are misrepresenting me to the world around. And the Father has sent me to show the world what he's actually like. And now years later, Mark is writing to a Gentile church that I think has the same question as America is asking right now. What is the Messiah really like? And I would say that the main question in the heart of many Americans right now is, is your Messiah also for us? Is he our Messiah? Or is he only the Messiah of the church? Or is he also the Messiah of the broken? The Messiah of the hurting? the Messiah of the dying, the Messiah of the sick, the Messiah of the rejected, the Messiah of the addicted. Now we know your life church, obviously you carry this life center. You're, you're singing here about, um, you know, this is a house of miracles. You, you're living it, you're a city on a hill. But this thing that you have tapped into is actually meant to touch the entire nation. And in Mark, I think he's writing with a little passion going to the Gentile church, I am so sorry for the way that the Father has been misrepresented, let me tell you what the Messiah is really like. And Mark, more than any other gospel writer, comes right out of the gate with the actions of Jesus. He's not messing around. He's like, I don't have time for genealogies you're not gonna understand. It was, I don't have time for birth stories. You need to know what the Messiah is actually like. You're wondering if he's your Messiah and I will prove to you that he is. And so Mark begins to write with this passion in his heart. So the first four stories in the, book, in the book of Mark, to me, are extremely intentional to the point that he's trying to make. Verse 21, it's the first story in the ministry of Jesus. And I love this. They went to Capernaum. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue, began to teach, and the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were amazed. And they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of the Galilee. Think about this moment. Jesus walks into the church of his day and there somewhere in the church is a demon-possessed man. And you gotta ask yourself the question, how long had this man been coming to church with no solution? How long had he sat there listening but with no answer for the real dilemma and the real pain in his life? How long had he been waiting for his breakthrough? And you imagine now Jesus walking in, sees this demon-possessed man, and I have to think Jesus thought, who do they think my father is? And you ask the question, when's the last time that someone in Israel had authority over the demonic? 
Was it Elisha? When's the last time in Israel's history that there was someone who had authority over demonic power? And so they have normalized the need for breakthrough without the solution of breakthrough. They have normalized, this is just how we do it. He's sitting over there demon-possessed. They're sitting over there under the heavy yoke of the law, and we're sitting over here teaching it. And they have normalized this as this is what it means to follow Yahweh. Sorry about your issue. We have no answer for you. And Jesus walks in and goes, who do you think my father is? Let me show you what I'm really like. And he pulls back the curtain on the father, exposing what the father is really like. And in one sentence, he casts the demon out. He goes, oh, you don't think I have authority over darkness? Let me show you what my father is really like. And in one sentence, the demons flee, and the people look on and go, what is this? We've never seen this before. And Jesus goes, this is the father. This is what he's always been like. This is who I am. I am a Messiah for those that need breakthrough. I am more powerful than all the darkness the enemy could throw at us. And you realize that sometimes we buy into this too, that somehow it's Satan versus God. My friends, that's not a battle that's happening. Satan is not the yang to God's yang. This is not like some dark light thing. Have you ever walked into a dark room, flipped on a light switch, and wondered whether the light would overcome the darkness? This is the enemy against humanity, the enemy against us, but there is no battle between God and Satan right now. That that is not a question. That was settled at the foot of the cross. And Jesus says, just so you know, as I pull back the curtain, you gotta know who my father is. He moves demons with his little finger. There is more power in his little finger than all of hell. Let me show you what the father's like. Then he goes to the next story. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went to James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. They're wondering. They have a question. Is there a healer in Israel? Because it's been hundreds and hundreds of years since there was a healer in Israel. You got to love this. Jesus He went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. He doesn't even pray for her. He goes, just so you know. Just so you know what I do to sickness. Just so you know what my father's like. Takes her by the hand. She she begins to wait on them, and the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. And Jesus, again, he pulls back the curtain a little bit and goes, let me show you what my father is really like. He has power over sickness. Friends, so many in America are asking the question, does your Messiah have power over sickness? Does your Messiah have power over demonic torment, over fear, over anxiety? Does your Messiah have an answer for us? And Jesus, and now Mark writing about Jesus, is declaring with all of his heart, he is shouting from the rooftops, this Messiah is for everyone. This Messiah has power over darkness and power over sickness. He goes to the next one. This might be my favorite story in this sequence. A man with leprosy, think about this. Put yourself in the story. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, a sufferer of leprosy in Jesus' day was the most marginalized of the most marginalized in all of society. There was not someone more rejected than a sufferer of leprosy in Jesus' day. 
They were considered unclean, untouchable. This was the most marginalized in society. And this man comes to Jesus with a question in his heart. And I'm telling you, friends, this is the question in the heart of America right now. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And I love this response. Jesus was indignant. Jesus looked at the situation and goes, are you kidding me? Who have they made my father out to be? You don't think I care for the marginalized. You don't think I have a cure for the rejected. You don't think that I'm with the brokenhearted. And he looks at this with indignation and goes, my father has been misrepresented. This is not what he's like. Filled with indignation goes, if I'm willing, if I'm willing, he says, be clean. And immediately, immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean. And this is remarkable. Jesus says he reached out his hand and he touched the man. My friends, this is our Messiah. He doesn't just cure his illness. He cures his stigma and his rejection. He touches the untouchable. This is our Messiah. America needs to know a God who touches the untouchable. America needs to know a Messiah that, again, isn't living in fortresses of defending doctrines. But America needs to know a Messiah that is on the battlefield with the wounded and the sick and the dying. And he is healing. And he's restoring. He is redeeming. And he is bringing the outcasts and the rejected into a family. And he pulls back the curtain for everyone to see and go, look at what my father's actually like. I heal you and I restore you to your value and your identity. You are a son of God created in his image. And Jesus restores and shows that not only does he have power over darkness and he has power over sickness, but he has power over rejection. And the final story here of unveiling his father In the beginning of Mark chapter two is this famous story where four friends go, we love our friends so much, we think if we can get him in front of Jesus, he might get healed. They dig a hole in the roof, you know the story, they lower him down, Jesus looks at the man and does the unthinkable. He looks at the man and goes, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders look on and go, who do you think you are? And Jesus goes, who do you think I am? You don't think my father has authority to forgive sins? You don't think I have authority to forgive sins just so you know what I'm actually like. Pulls back the curtain a little bit more to reveal the father as he is. He looks at the man and goes, just so everybody knows that I have authority to do what I just did, get up, grab your mat, and get out of here. And the paralyzed man stands up, grabs his mat, and walks out, and Jesus pulls back the curtain and says, let me show you what this Messiah is really like. You think there's a sin I can't forgive? You think there's a past I can't redeem? You think there's a heart too hard for me? You think there's addiction I can't break? You think there's shame that I can't deal with? Let me show you what my father is really like. And Mark writes these stories to a Gentile church saying, let me show you what this Messiah is really like. And friends, America is asking the question, is there a healer in the church? Is there a redeemer in the church? Is there a deliverer in the church? Is there forgiveness in the church? What is your Messiah really like? And friends, Life Center, we have the great privilege in this hour of shaking and crisis all around us to represent Jesus 
to a nation that is longing for a Messiah. We have the great honor to pull back the curtain and go, you've misunderstood what he's like and we are sorry, but let us show you what he's actually like. He has power over darkness in your life. He has power over stigma and rejection in your life. He has power over sickness in your life. And by all means, he has power over sin in your life. He forgives, redeems, heals, and restores. That's what our Messiah is like. And friends, America is crying out right now. Show us the Messiah. Show us what he's actually like. I want you to stand, and we're going to pray. And I want to pray um, that God would fill us today as the life center. This, this city on a hill, this lighthouse, this light on a stand, that you would have the great privilege to represent Jesus to this region of Pennsylvania, that some of you would have the great privilege of representing Jesus to nations all over the earth. Friends, there's never been a more urgent hour than right now. And what the nation is longing for is what is Jesus really like? And we have the privilege to represent him. My fundamental belief is that the greatest harvest in human history is on the doorstep. But it won't come because we figured it out on whiteboards. It won't come because we finally had the, the greatest preached message in history. It won't come because we wrote the right worship song. It won't come because we lifted up a, a, a pastor beyond what they should have been lifted up. It won't come because we finally started the right program. It's gonna come because we pull back the curtain and show the world what our Father's really like. It's gonna come because we represent Jesus to a generation that is asking a very real question and it is up to us to answer that question. To begin to celebrate the way, the truth, and the life to take the battlefield with great courage and great confidence and with great love. This is my command, love each other as I have loved you. And I wanna pray that this room would be filled with courage today, with courage. Holy Spirit, I ask right now, would you put your hands on the shoulders of people on both sides of you, this kind of family prayer moment. Would you release courage in this room? Courage right now, God courage to represent you. I pray those that are showing up at work tomorrow on Monday morning, Father, give them the grace to pull back the curtain on the Messiah a little bit more. Father, let us not shy away from the supernatural God that we serve. There's a nation longing for the supernatural Lord. We don't need to be embarrassed. We don't need to apologize. We don't need to be ashamed. We need to show them what you're really like, God. This is not an hour to shrink back. This is not an hour to be silenced. This is an hour to shout from the rooftops what our Messiah is really like because you're good news, Jesus. You're the only good news. You are the greatest news that has ever existed. So I ask God, courage in this room today. Courage to represent you. Courage to face the difficulty of the hour and unveil the Messiah everywhere we go. I pray today assignments in the nations that some would have the remarkable privilege of going to the 3.2 billion and unveiling the Messiah. Someone have the privilege, Lord, of showing up to school on Monday and unveiling the Messiah, God. But Father, we ask for a Jesus movement in this nation as we unveil you as you really are. You have been misrepresented, but Father, enough is enough. And we plan to show the world what you're really like, to put your power on display, Jesus. If you feel like today God is energizing you in this, he's filling you with courage. 
and you feel today I have maybe not represented him as he really is, but everything in you is like, God, I am ready to represent Jesus. I just want you to come to the front. We're gonna pray for just a baptism of courage, a baptism of boldness today, a fresh baptism of the Spirit. Oh, there is a harvest coming to America. And it is one moment from seeing the real Messiah away. The hardest of hearts melting. Ministry team, come on up. Keep going, Eddie. Holy Spirit, would you just release a baptism of fire in here this morning? Lord, a baptism of the Holy Spirit that washes away the old and brings the new. An infilling of the very Spirit that makes us distinct. Father, I pray right now, would you fill us with your power. Fill us. Remain in me as I remain in you. Father, I pray that Jesus would manifest in our hearts and lives today and that we would manifest your presence, your glory, and your power like never before, God. This is not an hour to shrink back. God, give us courage today. Lord, make the Life Center a city on a hill. Father, I pray that what happens in this place would reverberate across the region, across the nation, and many would gain courage. Many would gain courage out of the testimony of what happens at the Life Center. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, ministry team, just let the Holy Spirit lead you floating around the room. This is so good, Andy. Acts 1.8 says they received power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. So Father, we thank you for that power. Come on, be released upon people's lives as your Holy Spirit rests on individual right now, all over this room, those that are watching online. God, we thank you. The spirit of power, God, that's the power from heaven. Come on, the power to stand and not compromise, the power to be witnesses. Come on, the power, the power to represent who Jesus really is. Father, we thank you for that spirit. Release, 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 release that power all over this place in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come on, ministry team, if you're ever any part of the team, we just need you to float around this place. Come on, lay hands, people. When you're standing, if you're still standing in your seats, come on, lay hands on each other. Come on, just yes. let the Holy Spirit move through every person in this room. Come on, Ooh. if you're up in the balcony, pray, lay Thank hands you, on each Jesus. other. Come on. Thank you, Father. Yeah, Jesus, in a world that is so fueled, so divided with hate right now, we pray, God, make us the greatest display of your love that the world has ever seen. Father, make us the greatest display of the world that, of love that America has ever seen. We ask right now, Lord, that we would be ignited with extravagant love, ignited with outlandish love, that we begin to move as you move, Jesus, healing, restoring, unifying. Father, we pray, let that spirit of reconciliation fall on us, God. We pray for a unified church that actually heal a divided world, Father. We pray, fill us with that today, God. Let the, the stuff of yesterday and even the discouragement of the last year, wherever it might still linger, we pray, do away with it today, God. Wherever discouragement might still linger, wherever frustration or a little bit of unbelief or a little bit of loss of expectation, do away with it today. And we pray today, fill us with fresh expectation, God. Fill us with fresh faith today, God. Fill us with courage today, Jesus.
we thank you for marking lives that are called. Come on, called to missions. And Andy was speaking about people going and saying, I'll go wherever you go. Some of you are hearing that in your spirit today. I'll go wherever you say to go, Lord. Come on, you're gonna give the rest of your life to missions. Come on, you're gonna give the rest of your life to saying, God, I'll go where you say go and I'll do what you say do. God, we thank you for releasing that. Those who's been held back in fear, God, you're releasing, releasing and just stripping them all spirit of fear in the name of Jesus. Release the spirit of encouragement to go, go, go. God, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name. All right. Father, we thank you for rekindling, rekindling nations, rekindling hearts towards nations. Father, I thank you for callings, giftings, that seem dormant. Father, we just declare that now is the time. Now is the time. Holy Spirit, we ask that you move. We ask that you move. We ask that you rekindle flames. Words from seasons past, Father, we ask that you breathe life, life, life into those words. Father, release nations right now. Images of nations. Release languages and sounds of nations, God. Thank you, Father. You just stay right up here. On those that have children, we love you. We pray you just go bless the children's workers as you pick up your children. Don't move if you're up here receiving ministry. I want you to stay in that place. If you're not, we pray you just blessed and released to go shine like the sun. Amen. Have a great week. Come on. Receive this word. Let the Holy Spirit seal this word in your heart and live and represent who Jesus really is. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great week. Thank you.